All right. We're going to get into God's Word. And uh, the series we're in is called Heaven on Earth. And the big news is, is that the church of God is meant to be an experience of heaven on earth in this time. And sometimes that means it's supposed to feel wonderful, powerful, holy, pure, and good. But because the earth that the heaven on earth is in is an earth largely in rebellion against God, sometimes it feels like conflict, sometimes it feels like warfare, sometimes it feels like dad giving his overly excited teenage children a correction. But this is meant to be heaven on earth. Calvary Chapel is meant to be heaven on earth. And we're working through the book of 1 Corinthians because that church that lived 1930 years ago uh, was dealing with a lot of similar issues to the things we deal with in our time and age as well. And so the title of the message today is Humility is the Way. And before I read the scripture, this is my heart. I think at Calvary Chapel we have a real opportunity before us. I think we have an opportunity to do a really good job of being a church that holds together believing in God's word and believing in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think we have an opportunity to do a really good job of being a spirit-filled Bible church or a word-saturated, charismatic church. I think we have an opportunity, and I think we can potentially blow it too. And uh, my deepest desire is that we would do an excellent job of pleasing the Lord, of being a Bible church that's a real Bible church, including the verses that talk about the power of the Holy Spirit filling his people and coming out of them. So this, this, is, this is me. This is my heart. And um, one of the things I've been doing for the last few messages, I've been pairing a Christian life with the message that I've been trying to bring as I explain Holy Scripture. And this week, I want to do something really uncomfortable and somewhat new. I'm going to be the Christian. And I'm going to share with you my life to help explain what's going on here in Scripture which is ridiculously uncomfortable because the last person I want to be thinking about while I'm preaching is Robert Balfour. Nevertheless, the Christian life is a series of deaths followed by resurrections by the power of Jesus. And uh, I'm hoping not to complain too much during the knife moving across my throat, spiritually speaking. All right. Now that you're all encouraged and very worried... Let's read some scripture together. I don't have a button, so if you see me do this, just special needs me and click the button back there for me, please. Can somebody press the button, the button, the button? Sheldon, is the button pressed? When we move to the new building, we're going to have a new computer. Lord willing. All right. 1 Corinthians 14, starting verse 36. Christian, these are the very words of God. 
Paul writing to the church as he's trying to help them sort out the gifts of the Spirit. He says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, capital S, Holy Spirit spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Would you please pray with me? Father, there's nothing more precious on earth than your Son and His Spirit and you. Father, the prophet Isaiah said, if you put all the nations in a bucket, it doesn't even make the scales go up a little bit compared to you and your glory. Father, I pray that even as I tell my story, would you help me be nothing? And would you be holy God on earth in our midst as we come to your word? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay. So I think one of the truths about my life is that God has sculpted it to be a life where the word and the spirit are quite intertwined. When I got saved at the age of 18-ish, I was living in Vernon, B.C., and I got saved into a charismatic church, meaning a church that believed in the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophesying and falling down when people pray for you and you're having a good time and all that stuff. Um, And I had absolutely no church background. And so I remember the first time I went to church after getting really saved. I had been to a church or two before, but I wasn't, I was just kind of visiting. Um, The first time I went to church after getting saved, the pastor's wife got up, and I think they may have just been to the Toronto Blessing or something like this. And so she starts prophesying, and then she starts shaking, and then she fell over into a mic stand. And I was like, she's not getting up, because that looked really bad, but she was fine. And after the service was over, I went to a friend of mine's mom who had been praying for me to get saved for a while, I found out, and who was one of my friends there. And I went to her and I just said, is that normal? And she said, I could see her thinking. She said, yep. And I was like, okay. I have no idea what Christians do. Like, I've been watching TV my whole life, so I already thought that they were a bunch of weirdo losers before I got saved. Right? Anybody hear any good thing about the church coming out of that pedophile factory Hollywood lately? Sorry. I was going to save the harsh speech for later, but I said it, and I mean it. I'm not going to say sorry again. That's a bad place. Anyhow, so coming to a church when I was a Christian and with friends who I trusted, I just asked, is this normal? And they said yes, and so I believed it. Only later did I find out that most Christians think doing that kind of stuff is just weird. 
which was a bit of a shock. Also finding out that Christians disagreed with each other, because I had no idea. I just thought it was my family that thought Christians were dumb. I didn't think other Christians thought other Christians were dumb, which was a bit of a letdown. Anyhow, so I was in this charismatic church, and it was pretty great. They were like us, like really friendly. Um, they had more hippies at that church than we, we do, right? Ex-hippies. They were mostly like a hippie plant from Vancouver that moved to Vernon, and they were all like 50-year-old hippies, and so they were really laid back. Like they, they, would, they would have thought Calvary Chapel was just a little bit too intense, like just chill. So they were really laid back, and... Uh, and I remember even, because I just, somebody said it was normal, I just thought it was normal. So a few weeks after getting saved, we were having this prayer time for the youth going back to school, and I got a picture, and I just got up and shared it, because I thought, that's just what you did. Like, I'm a Christian now, and apparently Christians get pictures from the Holy Spirit, and they go and share it to encourage people, and isn't that just what we do? Right? Isn't that normal? Darn that word, normal. Darn it. Darn it to heck. What good has it done anybody? So I just, it was just life. People did strange things, okay. Um, and so that was just, it was just normal. Um, going through deliverance when something, because you used to like participate in demonic things and, and that left some hangers on in your life that did, did unpleasant things to you, so people pray that they would leave. Uh, I didn't know that that was abnormal. I didn't know that that made Christians feel uncomfortable. It's just what I went through because I needed it. And so I was born into a charismatic church where believing that the Holy Spirit would talk to people, believing that the Holy Spirit would speak through people, believing that the Holy Spirit would do miracles, that he could heal people, was my first experience of normal. Okay? This is my story. And I was going to university, and I finished second year, and then things were going really, really bad for me personally. Things were not peaceful at my house because my parents had asked around when they found out that I was become a Christian, and they heard from some people they knew that were Christians that the church I was going to, some people thought was a cult. It was so unculty. It was so absolutely unculty. Cults usually involve, like, telling people what to do. <laughs> they were so laid back. I wish they cared more, honestly, because I was doing stuff that I needed to stop bad. So I wish somebody would have just said, you know, can I ask you about your life? But it's just so chill. Too chill. And so things were going really bad for me personally, and so I needed to get out of town for a bit, or at least I felt like the Lord said I should. Um, I remember I just signed up for third-year university and paid the down payment that was non-refundable. And just not doing well at home, not doing well with the Lord. I think that my parents were so freaked out they'd even asked me to stop going to church, so I was only going to college career on Wednesday nights, but not to the Sunday morning meetings because I was respecting them because I was still living in their house. Quick pause. Some people ask how long you have to honor and obey your parents for. The answer is, who's paying the bills? You don't want to listen to your parents anymore? Don't ask them to buy you anything while you're not living with them. 
back to my personal story. Like, I'm serious. I'm serious. But we don't have to talk about real life here at Calvary. You're just supposed to say nice things about God and then without actually changing anything. So anyhow, I came out to King's Commission at Gateway, which was my first experience of Manitoba, which is really interesting. Coming from a place where there's mountains and hills everywhere to a place where they aren't anywhere, my brain kept thinking that the clouds in the distance were mountains, and I, it would just freak me out. I'd see clouds, and there are mountains here. No! It's like I couldn't mentally not see mountains in the diff- distance. And then, you know, you you drive to Steinbeck from Winnipeg and you realize it's been 45 minutes of just wheat. (laughs) And you think, people live here? And then January hits. Right? Yeah, one more week. So that was my experience, but I was going to this Bible college, which was primarily a charismatic, but also a Bible college, and it was a good experience, and we grew and stuff, and I think I appreciate it is they took the gifts of the Spirit quite serious. Uh, Ron was there, and he got us to practice them and, and, and take doing a better job with the gifts better, and not just kind of fumble your way through it, so that was a blessing. But we were there, and it was really good, super intense, super painful to leave. And I went back home, and fortunately I had met the most beautiful woman in the world while we were there, while I was there, and managed to talk her into moving back to BC to go to school there as well, and so that I could pop the question to her a few months later. Also, good little note. It's a good sign when you are falling in love with somebody on your walks to and from the early morning prayer meeting. That's a good way to do it. The, the prayer meeting that starts at 6 in February. If that's where you're meeting each other, that's a good sign. At least it's worked out well for me. Anyhow, move back to Vernon. Jackie and I are there, part of this church. I don't really have any complaints about it. Somewhere along the lines... I, somebody lent me a book called God, the Spirit, and the People of God by this uh, professor of New Testament named Gordon Fee. And it was this very careful exegesis of the Holy Spirit passages in the books of Paul, Paul's letters. And I'm reading this, and the whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, you can read the Bible like this? You can read it this closely? You can read it this carefully. You can think about how each phrase works together with the one before it and the one that comes after it. You can build this together so that you can explain why every single part of a paragraph fits together to help you understand from God. You can closely read the Bible. And I started to become this like exegesis junkie. And when Jackie and I were on our honeymoon, we stopped off at the Regent College bookstore, which I ended up going to, and I bought a commentary on First and Second Timothy and Titus, and I read through the entire thing cover to cover. Those books aren't even written 
to be read through cover to cover like that. The person who writes them, they just, they're going to read the intro, then they're going to check the verse they want. They're not intended to be interesting. But I was like, you can read the Bible like this? And so after four years of university wasting my time on an English degree, um, I decided to really step up my game and go to Regent College to get another useless degree. And that was an interesting move as well because Barney Coombs, who was kind of like the father over all of the Salt and Light churches in all of the world, he said to me before I went to Regent College, we, he, he, I can't remember, he was at Vernon for some reason, he said to me something like, Rob, I just want to let you know I'm a little bit concerned that some of the teachings there, some of the professors there aren't honoring the word like they should. And I think it came from somebody he knew who was like a teacher's aide at the school and marking papers. And he was part of his feedback on the papers was he's saying, this isn't actually doctrinally true. And he got corrected to not do that. So when he's marking papers, he's not allowed to correct whether or not it's true. <laughs> he's just supposed to correct whether or not it's like a good argument, which is often where seminaries and colleges start to die. We will call you a doctor of the faith, but we have never cared if what you think is true. Fortunately, that's not Elmer's story. Okay, so don't give him any gospel because of what I say. He's a great guy and loves the Lord and thinking well, which is a rare treat. <sighs> So I went to a region, and I was kind of perturbed because I, I was young and immature, and I wanted everything to be easy. And, uh, and so instead of going into the New Testament degree I'd kind of wanted to, I just started taking the languages courses because I thought, well, no matter what happens, it'll be helpful to know Greek and Hebrew. And it was, it was actually the Lord's will because I, I ended up learning Greek and Hebrew and did really well in it. So that when I graduated two and a half years later, I ended up getting the top prize in both languages. So at this international master's level school where the professors all have degrees from like Cambridge or Oxford or other. And I was so surprised. You know, I was at graduation and no one had told me and I was looking for my name in the brochure and it's like, hey, Greek prize. I was like, what? Shut up. No, that never happened. And then I forgot. I forgot that that ever happened. That's a little insight to Rob. Like, I forgot. And so somebody was introducing me one time and said, Ed, when he graduated, he got the Hebrew prize. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Oh, wait, I did. Oh, shoot. So when I'm sharing that, you just need to know it's like awkward to even say that for me. Um, but I just love the Bible and I loved translating it. I loved decoding what it actually means, whether it's at the word grammar level or I actually became really passionate about Old Testament narratives because they are the most misunderstood and misused portions of the Bible because people don't know how to read them. And they're so meticulously written in a way that if you understand what people are doing, you can tell exactly what the stories are supposed to mean, but we don't know how to do it. And so we read stuff and you're just like, Balaam's donkey, that's the weirdest thing. It's not. There are actually clues to really understanding how it works that are right in front of you. You don't have to be a genius to see it, but we just... So I was just like, I'm in love! Which nobody ever says about like translating Hebrew, right? I'm in love! <laughs> which in Hebrew is I think something like Ohav you're welcome 
However, I did go through a bit of a crisis when I was at Regent because um, colleges sometimes don't. And I remember, so I'm there grieving that Barney has said, be careful about treating God's word well while you're there. And I wanted to just be an excited student there. And I remember there was a day when one of my New Testament professors was actually making fun of some of the stuff Paul had written in the verses even before the one we read and kind of just mocking it. I went through a and on top of that, I had this persistent sin that I couldn't beat that was just dogging me. And so I was just went through this humongous spiritual crisis. Because I'm learning this book, and I don't know what it is. And my sin is not stopping, and I don't know what to do about it. Okay? This is what I mean. Is this book the word of God that you never mock? Because you mock Christ himself when you mock it? Or is it just a bunch of stuff people wrote and you can read it or wipe your butt with it, whatever you want to do, and it doesn't really matter? Those are really the only two options. And so I went through this really deep, poor Jackie, spiritual crisis through this time. And was doing a real study into like how God changes people. And I was in that, I started to get really uh, grateful for Bible teachers from the Reformed tradition. Because as I read different people's take on how God changes people, they very obviously treated the Bible with the most respect, trying to hold all that scripture has to say about a topic together without saying this part's important, this part's junk, don't look at this, just look at this. And I was like, if I'm going to be a man of the word, I want to be like that, somebody who tries his best to always honor all of the Bible all the time when he's dealing with stuff. And not just pick a verse or two I like and run with it. Amen? And so I've been my life in both of these camps since I was about 22 or 23. I've been in this part of the church that is Bible-crazy people. Scripture, 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 Scripture. And that tends to be where I go to read people who are going to really encourage me. The problem is they tend to not really believe that the Holy Spirit is moving today. And at the same time, I live this life that is charismatic. And I speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit speaks to me and leads me. And I see the value that this is the reality. That God still does this stuff. This is Robert Balfour. And I see both worlds. I see the mamsy-pamsy stuff that happens in the charismatic world. Like when I... Uh, the, the whole story of Todd Bentley, God bless him, I'm sorry to even name his name, but he's a part of my life. Like the first time I met this guy, he was just preaching in Winkler, I think. He's from Vancouver, like where I was born, and he's preaching in Winkler. And I saw him during the, the uh, 
King's Commission days we wrote out there and had a bit of an experience with the Lord and a power encounter, if you want to call it that. And then the next thing, time I hear about him, he's leading this revival in the state somewhere and all these people are coming and all these people are coming. And unfortunately, while all this good stuff is happening, he's leaving his wife to hook up with the babysitter. And then all that stuff falls apart. And then I saw this documentary recently where I finally got the story on what actually happened there. And it's just like, this is so painfully common in the charismatic world. Something exciting is happening. Turn off our brains. Go feel the power. Go fall over. Go hand over money. And then get disappointed that the character was not even beginning to be there. And the, the honoring of God's word and the teaching is not even beginning to be there. And who knows if it was genuine but fell apart or if there was some kind of twisty, shystery stuff going on there. Anybody in the charismatic world knows that the prosperity gospel is our problem. The prosperity preachers that are all show and give me the money and who have more money invested in their house than I'll tithe or earn in my entire life, that's our problem. We fund that. The people who believe in the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, we fund that garbage. It's not the Presbyterians who are going to that stuff. You know what I mean? And at the same time, I know that some of the harshest, rudest Christians there are, are the Calvinists. They do great messages. You just don't want to live with them. I know it because I am that. I am a charismatic Calvinist. Which means I don't have a lot of friends. Because nobody's like me. And it doesn't take a year of preaching before I've said something that offends one of the two camps. And you know what? I love you guys. The reason I'm a charismatic Calvinist is because that's what the Bible says. So let's read some Bible. I'm going to pretend to click, and you guys back there can make it look like I'm doing it. Good? Okay, let's click it. First, I want to just start off by saying the Bible thinks there is such a thing as the Bible. The Bible thinks that the Bible is God talking. And we're going to read some scriptures from 2 Peter about this, okay? 2 Peter 1, starting verse 19. This is Peter writing to the church. It's late in his life. He's expecting to die. And he's telling the church, put your trust in the scriptures. Okay? The apostles are going to be dead soon. You can't just ask, what does Peter think? He's going to be in the grave. His head's going to get cut off. Where do you go for authority and power and direction? And he's saying, turn to the scriptures. So he says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Everything from Matthew to the left is God. 
Period. Says Peter, who happened to know Jesus. Okay? That's what Peter's saying. Put your hand in the Bible, and Matthew, everything to the left was not just people. It was God by the Holy Spirit. Skadoosh. What do you like to say, Greg? Boosh? Boosh. I like skadoosh, but I'll try to mix it up. Press the button again, please. Peter, again. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Okay. Where do we hear from the commands of our Lord and Savior? Where do they come from? They come through who? The apostles. That's, put your hand on Matthew, everything to the right is the apostles. That's what Paul... Peter's thinking of. Which brings me to a pet peeve that I'm going to just peeve against for a sec. I hate it when people say, if I have to go between Paul or Jesus, I'm going to go with Jesus. Or something like that. There is no Jesus. There's only what the apostles wrote about Jesus by the Holy Spirit. You cannot play Luke against Peter or John against Paul. There is only what the Holy Spirit gave us through the apostles. So don't get suckered into a false conflict between the first four books of the New Testament and the rest of them. It's a trap from somebody who doesn't want to obey something, is my humble opinion. Except for maybe the humble part. But I'm working on it. (laughs) One more click, please, before we get back to Paul. Peter, ending this letter. And count the patience of our Lord. He's talking about why hasn't Jesus come back yet. He's saying, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, so this is Peter writing about Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So even God knows that sometimes it's hard to understand Romans 9 through 11. Stop worrying about it. God knows what he's doing. Read it again. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I will not be a scripture twister. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may I die before I become a scripture twister. By the kindnesses and mercies of God, may he strike me dead before I become a scripture twister for the sake of the health and life of the church of Jesus Christ.
So my one ambition in life is to have nothing to be sorry about when it comes to the word of God, when I see Jesus face to face. Whether you like me or not, I think that's worthy of your respect. Because I think that's worthy of respect in anybody who lives like that. Even when they don't think the Holy Spirit helps me speak in tongues, which I do, which can make it feel strange to respect somebody who doesn't think I can do what I can do. But I respect them because they suffer for the truth of God's word. So, know this, there is such a thing as the holy word of God that we do well to listen to. And I think the way forward for us is it's my desire for us to be a church that does really well with honoring the scripture and really well with being a people filled with the spirit. The answer really is just like to be humble. Amen. I think that's the way forward. You just be real humble about it because most of us have a bent, right? This is one of the things that's already unique about Calvary. There are Bible people here at Calvary who are weirded out by the Holy Spirit stuff. They're here. You may not know them, depending on the circles you run in, but I know them. I love them. And there are people here who are just Holy Spirit people who sometimes you wonder if they'll ever come down. (laughs) I love them. Okay? Nobody runs out one of the other two groups while I'm sheriff in this town. I love them both. I just wish that they would honor each other more and embrace a deep humility that sees the good in the way the other people are bent. Amen? And I think this is what Paul's getting at. But let's go and talk about a a story of learning to be humble even when God's using you. Oh, I'm running out of time. I actually think that somebody's hacked into that clock because I start and I got all this time and then I look up and it's gone. And I know you can do that. It's probably one of the teens. <laughs> can somebody take the cell phones from the teens away because they are messing with me. Way back in the Old Testament days with Moses, God gave us a story that I think really encourages all of us just to aim to be humble no matter what. In Numbers chapter 12, you get the story of a little family fight between Miriam and Aaron and Moses. And it goes like this, starting in verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman, which is really mysterious and nobody knows where that Cushite woman came from because Zipporah, the one we learn about that he marries from Exodus, isn't a Cushite. And so here's this extra lady all of a sudden, which some of the old Jewish scholars had this story that Moses married her when he used to be the prince of Egypt and one day went out to battle in Cush and instead of conquering the city, the queen of the city said, why don't you just marry me? And he did. Anyhow... We don't know where this Cushite woman came from. I couldn't resist. It's just such a bizarre fact of human history. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? 
Has he not spoken through us also? Anybody ever heard someone say that before? God talks to me too. And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came. You can't cry and read at the same time, you doofus. Okay. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of fire, sorry, in a pillar of cloud, and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud was removed from above the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we've done foolishly and sinned. Let Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. And it goes on from there. And the reason I think that this story just tells me afresh about the call to humility with God's word when the Holy Spirit gifting is going is that Miriam and Aaron got caught in this trap. They felt like because God was talking to them, they had something to be proud about. Because God was using them, they had something to be proud about. And they wanted to use that to stand against Moses. And God comes to them and gives them... It just, it's so sadly ironic because he, he's essentially saying to them, you guys think you know me because I talk through you, but if you actually knew me, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And you don't even know how I'm working. And he says... When I talk to a prophet, I use impressions, dreams, riddles, all this good stuff. And it's real speaking. But he says, I, my servant Moses, I talk to him like people talk to each other. Moses comes into the tent and we chat. He sees me. And he says, why didn't the fact that I speak to you produce humility? Why didn't the fact that I speak to Moses more clearly than you produce even more humility? This is what God doesn't understand about what they're doing. Miriam, you're a prophetess. Why aren't you, why aren't you more humble? Aaron, you're the high priest. Why aren't you more humble? And here's Moses. Speaking of heaven on earth, here's Moses where he has this walk with God where the difference between whether or not he was alive on the earth or in heaven, there's no difference because he's already seeing God 
and talking with him face to face. He is literally experiencing heaven on earth. And what do we hear about Moses? He's the most meek person on the planet. And how does he react to having his brother and sister want to usurp his role? He, all we know about Moses, he prays. Please, God, don't, don't let it be as bad as it could be. And my big concern with either camp, the Bible camp or the Holy Spirit camp, is this. Why aren't we more humble? If God is talking to us, why aren't we more nothings in our own eyes? If God is clearly speaking to us through Scripture or dreams and visions, why do I care about myself so much when God's here? And I think it's the trap. I think it's one of the traps in North America is that people pick, I'm going to be a part of a charismatic church and we don't get humble because of it. Or I'm going to be a Bible church person and we are not humble because of it. But find our own reasons to be great. Anyhow. I love you guys. I'm dying up here. And not in the way that that usually means. Can we, can we be humble? I want to just share some observations about Christian life in North America to help us maybe own if we need to. If we're more Bible-ish people, don't you think sometimes we get a little bit self-righteous? Because we think we know things. If we're charismatic people, don't you think we're a bit faddish? kind of chasing the latest great thing, which is now the best thing that's ever happened in the world. If we're more bible people, aren't we a little bit too sharp with our words and judgmental? If we're charismatic people, aren't we a little bit too thin-skinned and easily hurt? If we're more reformed or bible people, don't we too quickly accuse people of being heretics? If we're more spirit-led people, don't we too quickly accuse people of being Pharisees or suppressing the spirit? Isn't that what we do? One thing I see that we both do, both camps, is we both do a lot of hero worship where we pick a great name who is now the ideal Christian that everybody has to be like or else they're nothing. The flavor of the month usually, but... Like, I've, I've, we've seen it, right? We've seen the revivals that come and go. We've seen Brownsville. We've seen Toronto. We've seen Kansas City. We've seen it come and go. We've seen the teachers come and go. And here we are, people who have the very words of God in our hand. So let's bring it back to Scripture. This is where we started. We have a Corinthian church that's getting a bit full of themselves. Especially because the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. They don't think they actually need anything anymore. 
And so Paul says to them this, did the word of God actually come from you? Are you the only ones God's ever spoken to? Are you the only ones it's reached? And then he, he lays down this very firm call for humility. He says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to are a command of the Lord. And this is the part that we should take seriously on both sides. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Meaning that the church is allowed to evaluate people by how they treat scripture. If somebody won't recognize that Paul is writing the very words of Christ, they're not recognized. No one should have more influence than their obedience. To which the Bible people might go, Yay! Well, you're next. And then Paul says, So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Anybody know anybody who goes to a Bible church where they forbid speaking in tongues? This gets under my skin so fast and so bad. We're a Bible church. You're not allowed to speak in tongues here. Which Bible are you reading? You idiot. And they earned that. I know I said the I word, but they earned it. Like, seriously, you say you believe the word, and the word says, desire prophecy. And don't forbid tongues. You could, it's, it needs to get railroaded. You don't actually want 16 people speaking in tongues and calling it a worship service. That's a madhouse, which Paul says. But you're not allowed to forbid it and say you think that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. And then the last one for all of us, and all things should be done decently and with order. Amen? Amen. So let's end. Thank you for your patience. Um, You know, if you're newer here, you don't need to participate on this stuff. And this is what I want to say as well. Um, If you're newer to church, This message is kind of really an in-house message. I'm talking to Christians, helping Christians try to become more mature. And that's a good thing. Because Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he wants to help us change in ways that will be a blessing to the people around us. I've shared my life story with you, and I want to tell you this. I had no idea what I was getting into when I said yes to Jesus in that cabin bedroom at Canham Lake in the center of BC all those years ago. All I knew was that Jesus was real. I would not change this life for anything. Jesus is worth it. It's, it's hard. You know what? And you can walk away from God or never become a Christian. You know what I can tell you? Your life's still going to be hard. It just won't be wasted when you're walking with Jesus. And so I just want to call you this morning. If there's been something really missing from your life, 
His name is Jesus. He loves you. And he won't mess around with you. Whenever somebody gives their life to Jesus, he accepts it as a precious gift that he takes care of for the rest of your life and then for eternity. And I want to invite you to give your whole life to Jesus. Everybody here who's been walking with Jesus, it's, it's hard, but it's good. Amen? Okay. That's the promise of following Jesus. It will be hard sometimes, but it will be good. And you will be loved the whole time by God himself. For the rest of us, you beloved so's and so's, why don't we put something on the altar this morning to the Lord? If you feel like you've been in one of those camps, maybe something I said touched on something, why don't we just give to Jesus the way we like to do church to him? As a sacrifice. And say, God, you're more important than my gifts. You're more important than my bench. You're more important than how I want to do church. You're more important. We just give this stuff to you. Would you make heaven on earth here? Amen? You don't have to participate in that prayer. But if you want to, you can stand as a way of joining. You can stay sitting too, because I'm a sitter. I like sitting. You can stay sitting. I connect with Jesus while sitting just as good as standing. Why don't we just give how we're doing this to church to to God and ask him to refine it for his glory. Father, I love you. And uh, I don't ever want to be the problem. Father, I give myself afresh to you. Through your word, I I really do see and believe that your, your Bible is you talking. And I love you. And so I love it when you're talking. Because for you, there is no difference between who you are and what you say. God, you you love your children and you know we fall off the fence on a few different sides. Lord, you know that there are people filled with your spirit who think very poorly about your scripture. Father, you know there are people who love your word and are very critical towards those who don't measure up. Please forgive us. Father, it's my earnest desire that you will say to us together, well done, good and faithful servant, and that you will do something unique here so that we can rejoice in you and have the benefits of all that you want for your church. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen.